Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, Bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21-plus, 18-plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Monday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Jansky-Stremski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and so much for those good vibes around New York football. So much for last Sunday being a major building block for New York football. Right back to the toilet for the New York Giants And for the New York Jets, and it doesn't matter the hour of the day, whether you're watching your football team at 9.30 in the morning or whether you're watching your football team in the late afternoon as the sun is setting. Whole lot of miserable football, a whole lot of disgust, a whole lot of angst across the board. Now, Giants, this is where we're going to begin. You knew going into this matchup, beating Dallas was going to be a very tall order. The Cowboys are playing extremely well on offense. Dak Prescott all the way back from his injury. The one-two punches, Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. Weapons gore. Like, you knew Dallas was going to be formidable from that standpoint. You needed your offense to be able to, dare I say, match them mano y mano. Well, here's the problem. It's impossible for your offense to go and match the Dallas Cowboys mano y mano when they're basically dropping like flies player after player after player as this game moves along. It started with Saquon Barkley. And if you haven't seen the graphic yet of Saquon's ankle, which was an off-target throw from Daniel Jones, you saw Saquon just turn it and it just looked ugly. It ballooned. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were all over it. The internet, like, 
the internet tends to do. They got us a nice little graphic of it, which was rather gruesome. For those of you who are not into that sort of stuff, I don't mind. I can see it. I can live with it. But I know this. Saquon Barkley might take a week or two, maybe a couple more weeks, to get him back onto a football field. Killer for this team. Killer. When you consider Saquon's game last week against the New Orleans Saints, all the positivity, all the good vibes, it just keeps harping back to the point that it's just not meant to be. Saquon's a great guy. He's a hard worker. He's a really good dude. Running back with the second overall pick, never going to be justifiable. Might be bad luck. It might be unfortunate. Call it whatever you want. If you think you're getting some sort of happy ending with Barkley as your running back, you don't know the history of the running back position, number one, and you don't know what's going on over the last couple of years with Saquon. Incredibly frustrating. Then you get to the scariest injury of the day, and that is involving the Giants quarterback. And a guy who a week ago had his best game in an NFL uniform against the New Orleans Saints. Come from behind win, throwing the ball down the field. He's getting into a rhythm with Kadarius Tony here, even in this Dallas game. And I'm shook, still shook, from the hit that Daniel Jones took as the Giants were trying to get themselves into the end zone. And you knew it because Fox was all over it. They got the replay of Jones getting popped, and he's all sorts of woozy. He's all sorts of stumbling. Can't fault him for this. He's basically drooling. I don't know if you guys saw that as he was walking off the field. The guy was in another world. He was on another planet. He got knocked into outer space. You hope that it is not a severe concussion. You hope that is not going to be the sort of severe hit that knocks him out for the remainder of the year or the next six to eight weeks. Giants can't afford that. But he was unable to finish this game. And then to make matters worse, Kenny Galladay gets hurt. So the Giants in basically one half of football, when they didn't have Andrew Thomas to tackle, when they don't have Blake Martinez on defense, they go and lose Barkley, Jones, Gallaudet on top of the other two. How are you beating the Dallas Cowboys that way? It's a very simple answer. You're not. Mike Lennon coming in against the Dallas Cowboys. Good luck with that. If you bet the Giants on Sunday, I feel for you. I don't know what's worse, the Giants or Penn State yesterday. Both suck. But anytime you have a quarterback injury situation, it can destroy a game. Even though Kadarius Toney did everything in his power to try to keep the Giants in it. And he had a monster game and looks like he is going to be a player. He's got some spunk. Maybe a little bit too much spunk. We'll get into that momentarily. But that's your one positive from this game. Giant defense did nothing. I mean, they couldn't get off the field. They couldn't generate a pass rush. They had no answer for the Dallas Cowboys offensively. I knew this was going to be a tall order for them going into the game. The minute Jones got knocked out, that was basically all you needed to know. But here's reality. The Giants are 1-4. The Giants are now 0-2 in this division. And I don't want to be the guy to keep harping on the bad news because I know many of you 
are dying for some positivity right about now. I get it. I feel your pain. Listen, my team stinks too. So misery loves company. Go through the schedule. Now you might have Mike Glennon, a quarterback, against the Los Angeles Rams. How do you think that's going to go? <laughs> I'm not trying to be a jerk, but in all seriousness, how do you think that's going to go? Mike Glennon against the Los Angeles Rams. Fast forward to 31-13 next Sunday, if that's the case. I know any given Sunday, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. That's a nightmare. This was a nightmarish Sunday for the Giants. And I understand Joe Judge's frustration with Tony. Even though he got hit, even though he was responding to being hit, you're preaching discipline. You can't have guys popping other players and slugging other players. Now, should Kadarius Tony be in a position where he's not playing next week? No, that would be malpractice from Joe Judge. The Giants need offensive talent, okay? They need a guy like Tony who is making things happen. He's got to play. He has got to be out there. But if you caught Fox, and they were all over it. Listen, their broadcast gave us a couple of gems. Not gems that you want, but gems that you want from being at home and having insight to what's going on throughout the game. They caught Judge basically saying that's blank and embarrassing. He was all over it. Still got to play him on Sunday. Because the Giants are going to have any chance against these top flight teams they're playing over the next four or five weeks. You need your best players available. But in many ways, Sunday is a day of missed opportunity because all of that hope and promise, Jones, Barkley, Galladay, what they did a week ago, all but gone when all three of these guys end up leaving the game and you end up losing the hated rival and you're now one and four on the year. So from that standpoint, what a difference a week makes. Speaking of the difference between one Sunday in the NFL to another. Welcome to New York Jets. And, you know, I got to say, I actually thought about apologizing earlier today on Twitter. Not only for my picks that have been embarrassing over the last three weeks. I mean, they have just been downright dreadful. After a hot start to the season, I've gone 3-12 and 12 in my last three weeks. Think about that for a minute. 3-12, and 12. one of the games that I gave you here on Sunday, the New York Jets taking on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, did Robert Sala's boys realize that they were playing London time? Did they realize that with the way they started this game? Don't even look at the final score. Yes, the Jets showed fight. Yes, they clawed back into the game. Not good enough. Not good enough. Because they were sleepwalking through the first two and a half quarters of the ball game. No ifs, ands, or buts. Not having an answer for Kyle Pitts. Not being able to make a big stop. And then you got to get to the rookie quarterback who took a step back today. We wondered going into this game against a soft Atlanta defense, would it be the opportunity for Zach Wilson to build upon what he did against the Tennessee Titans? Or would he regress from what we saw against the Tennessee Titans? We got our answer. It was a step backwards. And Dilford talked about this when he was on Rosillo's pod. We played it last week or two weeks ago, whenever the hell it was. And I thought it was obvious if you were watching the game today. Zach Wilson needs 
to take the safer throw more often. It is okay to go and get that three of that four-yard check down. And he's got to be more, dare I say, proficient on those elementary type of throws. Wilson can make the big boy throw. That's terrific. That's, that's really encouraging. He can throw on a run. He can make things happen. He's got a little flair to his game. Great. But from the pocket, Zach Wilson's got to be better. I think that is a clear and obvious observation from watching the Jets in their first five games in this new regime. This quarterback has to be better in the pocket. This offense being unable to score points in the first quarter, unacceptable. Listen to this nugget. 79 total yards through five games in the first quarter. 79 yards in the opening quarter this year. You got to figure something out. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if it's routine. I don't know if it's something that you're doing within practice. But you have to be better starting off these games. You you cannot expect to be down 20 to 3, 10 here, 14 here, week in and week out, and think that you're going to win with the talent that's assembled on this team. I got news for you. You're not Patrick Mahomes, and you're not the Kansas City Chiefs. You can't play that way. Wilson's got to make the easier throws. He's got to do a better job of getting himself in rhythm. Or maybe the coaching staff has got to do a better job of getting him in rhythm. Because that's been an issue. Now, this is where you got to give the Jet defense a little bit of grief. The Jets get back into this game. They get the two-point conversion. I'm all sorts of giddy after Michael Carter scores the touchdown run. I'm like, all right. We had him plus three. I'm like, all right. Good shape for a push. Maybe they work some magic. I mean, it was so weird. I'm sitting there rooting for the Jets today. Rooting for the Jets. Late in the fourth quarter, though, they need to stop. Their defense came up very, very small. Now, was their defense gassed? Probably. But their defense had no answer for Kyle Pitts all game. And you knew, no Ridley, no Gage, they're going at Pitts every play. (laughs) Why the hell not? Crushed them. Absolutely crushed them. Last week, the Jets got sack score. This week, they got absolutely no pressure on Matt Ryan. And it showed. Matt Ryan was able to pick him apart. And whenever he needed to make a big throw, he found pits. They converted. They delivered. There are going to be more growing pains coming for the New York Jets. But what's alarming about this game, from my standpoint, is that off of a win, in a game that was winnable, the slow start haunted them. Absolutely positively haunted them. That's tough to overcome. With the talent that's on this team, that is impossible to overcome. Now, there was a Fugazi call early in the game that I didn't like, that I was screaming about on Atlanta's opening touchdown drive. Yeah, it it bothered me. I'm not going to lie. That's not the be-all end-all in losing this game, though. I can bellyache about it. I can bitch about it. Got to start faster. Got to be better. This quarterback, now it's time to go to work. You got a bye week. You got extra time to prepare. And then you got the New England Patriots coming up for the second time. And you got to be better against New England. You cannot play the way you did against Belichick's defense. And listen, I just saw a rookie quarterback today 
who was signed off the street as of two or three weeks ago, have success against the Belichick defense. So this is not the Vince Wilfork, Richard Seymour, uh, Lawyer Malloy, Ty Law, Teddy Bruschi, Mike Vrabel, Patriot defense. They're okay. They're solid. They're not that defense. Rough day in New York football. But again, last week, that's why I told you to enjoy it. Sometimes we can be an absolute fool. Not in this case. There are going to be many collective winning weeks for both the Jets and the Giants. You enjoyed week four. Week five, back to business as usual. And I don't say that with a smile on my face. We got a loaded show. We got tons of reaction. It was as good a one o'clock witching hour as you're going to have. I mean, just games turning, moments, just craziness going on across the board. Uh, I'm sure your reactions will be off the rails. They always are. You never know what's on your mind. We'll get to all the baseball from the weekend. And there's a little bit of a deadline that's looming for one Kyrie Irving. And what a disaster that might be for the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. All right, your reaction. Big Football Sunday. It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. The Giants are 1-4, and four, the Jets are 1-4, and four, and... So much for building upon what you saw in week four. For different reasons. Injuries, opponent, London, slow starts. No two and threes on the horizon. One and fours with a bye week and the Los Angeles Rams looming. Not ideal seeing that team and that defense coming to town. Voicemail time. If you're new to New York, New York, and you're wondering, how do I get in touch with JJ? Aside from our unbelievable green rooms that we do. We had one on Sunday. We'll probably have another one at some point during the week. You never know. I might be watching some baseball. It might be after a night game. You never know. Uh, It depends on my mood. Depends on what I'm doing. But you want to leave us a voicemail. Very easy. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. All right, so Rudy, let's hear some magic. What do we got? JJ, Scott from Manhattan today. I am just done watching this debacle of a team that's called the New York Football Giants. They did not only embarrass themselves on the field, but they embarrassed themselves to the core. I am embarrassed to be a Giants fan today. They lose their two best players, and so what do they do? They get into fights. They're beating up the Cowboys. This is our division rival. We play them twice a year, and now we're going to beat them with our fists? We surely can't beat them on the field with this Patrick Graham Olay defense. I don't even know what the scheme is. The scheme is leave a guy wide open right over the middle. Tight end, wide receiver, running back, everybody. Wide open the entire game. Olay defense. I really don't know what this guy's doing. I am embarrassed to be a Giants fan today. This team is built on defense. We have none. That's all. I feel that frustration. I feel that pain. I'd love to see the fight from the Giant defense 
and the giant offensive line that I got from some of the giant players at the end of this game. Listen, the extracurricular activities to me are a whole lot to do about nothing. You see them all the time at the end of these blowout games. The problem is when you're a guy like Joe Judge, who is basically preaching this element of discipline, 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 and we're going to be this insanely disciplined team, and then you see that sort of crap at the end of the game, it's going to make you have an aneurysm. So I'm sure for a guy like Kadarius Toney, he had a great game. He was hands down the best player on the field for the New York Giants. You got that nonsense at the end of the game, it's going to drive you insane. And I know there were some cheap shots. I'm sure the Giants didn't love Ezekiel Elliott taunting when he was going in the end zone. You don't like that? Stop him. Now, I didn't understand, you know, they're supposed to be stressing this taunting call. That's what I heard all summer and first week or two of the year. I mean, can you taunt any more than Ezekiel Elliott did on that touchdown? I mean, by definition, that is the definition of taunting, for goodness sakes. But what do I know? Tony's got to play next Sunday. I don't think that will get in the way of him playing, but the coach who wants discipline, he certainly didn't get a lot of it at the end of the game, but you got bigger issues because the talent that you have on offense, all leaving the game with an injury is a disaster, especially when you fall to one and four and you're 0-2 in the division. That takes things from bad to worse. Next. Hey, JJ, Charlie and Elmer. So I'm going to call some Yankee news stuff when the boom, like not coming back. I'll tell you that and all the stuff later, and probably going to get trivia on my voicemail is going to be. But let me get into the football, New York football giants, and a couple of things. And right now I'm seeing they're getting blown out by the Cowboys, 34-13, for about five and a half minutes to go, whatever. And two things that I get to mind. I mean, this team is, like you said, always said, this team is good enough to lose. And this one play that blew, blew my mind. Why in the world at that goal line one day Jones got, I mean, basically taken out? Why in the world, I mean, I'm going to tell you, Jason Garrett let the, let the Jones getting carted off. Two running plays up the middle, and third in play, third down, you letting Jones run. And getting, I mean, getting, getting like, I mean, probably concussion. Where is the play action? Where is the play action? I'm going to tell you, Jason Garrett let, let, let Daniel Jones get killed. Killed. And now, I mean, basically, this team, I mean, this team with injuries flying all over the place, this team probably going nowhere. And the second thing on the coach, Kaderis, Tony, I mean, what, Tony, 80, number 89 of the Giants, had a good game, good game. And what the hell is he doing? Getting his ass tossed by throwing dumb-ass punch. Got to tell you, JJ, that's on the head coach. Where is the giant pride? Where is the accountability on this team? This team has embarrassed themselves. Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Are you serious? That is an absolute bullshit, uh, bullshit league play. You allow that to happen? This coach, I'm going to tell you, JJ, uh, he's going like, to be a good coach and everything. I, the minute he walked into it, I couldn't stand him. He's like a Belichick clown. He's walking over, he wins something. No. This this dude, I think, is an absolute crown, clown and a fraud. And i got to tell you, the fraud GM, a, bo- a rap from Boston, doesn't look who all the trade is signing. Galilee Allen, he's done this like three weeks or whatever. i got to tell you, here it comes. It's going to be a long, long football season for the New York Giants. Later, JJ. It sure seems that way, Charlie. And it looks like the general manager might have found himself a player in Kadarius Tony. 
But it's a poor reflection of Joe Judge when you're preaching discipline and that's what you see at the end of the game. I'm sorry. It's not a good reflection when that is supposed to be your MO as a head coach. Guys get tossed, unfortunately, from these games all the time. But it's just one of those things you don't need. You just don't need it. Now, I'll tell you some good news here on Saquon Barkley. This is from Ian Rappaport. Low ankle sprain. Injury that likely knocks him out next week. More tests are coming. But best characterized is week to week. Fast healer. Barkley will work to only miss a week. Well, that's somewhat encouraging. The problem is the Giants are one and four. They're one and four. They're staring the Rams in the face next week. If Mike Lennon's at quarterback, you could basically chalk that up to one and five. Where are the wins coming from? They still have Kansas City on the schedule. They still have Tampa Bay on the schedule. They still have a lot more tough games between now and the end of this season. This, in many ways, is just shaping up, and it's really starting to look like, not that it wasn't two weeks ago anyway, but just a totally lost year. You got a glimmer of hope last week. That glimmer was immediately put out with everything that unfolded in this game. Mostly, of course, the injuries. But the games count. Nothing you can do about it. It's another L on the ledger. When these weeks in the NFL, I mean, they come at you fast, folks. It's Columbus Day weekend already. Before you know it, it's going to be Halloween. You're Halloween and you're 2-7. and seven. I hate to break it to you. Your season is over. Even with the added game or whatever, if you're 2-7, and seven, your season is over. And we talked about this in the division. You're not going to have the embarrassment of last year where everybody sucks. Cowboys are legit. They're 4-1. They've covered every game this year. They're an offensive machine. Giants catching that team? Giants finding a way in the postseason? Don't count on it. They would have won today. The Giant fan would have been feeling frisky. I was talking about with Saruti, you know, over the weekend. We're like, wow, if the Giants could somehow, someway win this game, it changes the entire vibe, mood, you name it, on their year. Well, they didn't. So now reality sets in. It's one and four, going nowhere fast. Next. JJ, this is Joe from Long Island. What a joke the Jets are. Two minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and I, I can't contain myself. All gas, no brakes, this fucking horse shit. Gatorade bath after your first win. Talk shit all week in London. Come out and lay a fucking egg. No wide receivers are playing for the Falcons. I can call the plays attacking the middle of the field. What a joke. The Jets haven't scored a point in the first quarter all season. Those are the plays that are supposed to be scripted. What a joke Salah is. What a joke the fuck is. They better get their shit together. One step forward, three steps back, just not going to cut it. What a fucking joke. Ruined my Sunday before even 1 o'clock in the afternoon. What a disgrace. Well, that's the worst part about these London games. You know, it's great waking up. You got football on at 9, 9.30 in the morning. If your team loses... That is a long, long, long Sunday. And I will be right there with you folks next week because my team 
plays at 9.30 in the morning against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if the Miami Dolphins cannot beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, fold up shop, end the year, put me out of my misery. Whatever you do, please. They can't go to London and beat the Jaguars. There's nothing to discuss. Now, I'm not losing faith in this coaching staff after five games. I refuse to. Do I love the fact that the Jets are coming off a win, feeling their oats, Falcons are down, and they get off to that sort of start? Yeah, that bothers me. Because it seems like the Jets were not ready to go and that they were not ready to play immediately. And offensively speaking, they can't get these games started properly. So I don't know what they need to do in order to generate offense in the first quarter. I don't know if it's their play structure. I don't know if it's something that you got to script. I don't know. Whatever it may be, it's not working right out of the gate. So evaluate. You got an extra week to do so. Opening possession against the New England Patriots. Can I see some creativity? Can I, dare I say, see a couple of first downs and see some points on the board? Can't expect to win games with this sort of roster. Digging yourself these gigantic holes. You just can't. Who's next? Hey, JJ, Sean from Long Island. Thanks for taking the call, man. Just a few quick hitters for the Jets game today. You know, you can take it in any direction you want. Um, first off, JJ, it's an international showcase game for the NFL. To have that early, early flag on roughing the passer on a hit that I think should be shown to youth football as a clean way to send a message to the quarterback, completely clean hit. I can't believe that flag was thrown on a, such a stage for the NFL where literally the whole world's watching. Not that it affected the outcome of the game, but just uh, was really disappointed to see that. Now, the Jets themselves, I thought overall, you know, I was kind of encouraged by the effort the second half, of course. Um, with the defense, though, that last drive, where the game was still kind of up in the air, third and 15, J.J., why are the defensive backs right on top of the receivers? That's crazy to me. This is a no-name defensive backfield, not a lot of stars on it. Of course, the receiver ran right by it, third and 15, up the seam, no problem. So it was really tough to see. Then later in the drive on third and two, they play that soft coaching coverage and they flip it out of Harrison for an easy first down again. So I'm, I'm just a Madden player. You know, Salah has forgotten more than I'll ever know about defensive football, but that was just really, really frustrating to see. And then the offense, JJ, it looks like, you know, drive to drive. It seems like the game plan is changing, let alone, you know, game to game, half to half. It seems like each drive has a new kind of identity, if you will. The Jets are still trying to find their identity. But, you know, they're working through it, but I think a big, big factor in that is figuring out what the hell is going on with him. To see him pop, to see him flash just a couple times a game and then not even be on the field, if it's a personal thing, I don't know what it is, but this has to be figured out. It's so frustrating to see a second-round pick when you have no idea if you have an actual superstar in your hands just wallowing away. So, uh, I know I have a lot of stuff there, JJ. Sorry about that, but uh, hope you enjoy the day of football and take care. Bye. Well, it's a good call, Sean. There's a lot to unpack. First off, you're so right about the roughing the passer call. Hated it. Bush league. Embarrassing. Blatantly got it wrong. Can't make that the be-all, end-all, though, for the Jets losing this game. That's number one. Number two, I can't excuse the slow starts. I can't. Because now it's basically five games into this year, and it's, in many ways, the same exact script going through all these games. Bunch of three and outs, no cohesion on offense, no sort of flow, rhythm, whatever you want to call it. It's not there on offense. And then all of a sudden it comes in spurts. That's got to change. And if you're going to get to a point where you're playing winning football, it will change. Uh, I want to see more Mims. I think that's well documented. I am right there with you. 
I don't know what the deal is. I don't have the answer for you. I don't know if it's personal with the head coach, the coordinator. Who knows? He should be out there. He should be getting burned. And I thought on that last sequence, yeah, a couple of the play calls defensively were questionable. Whether it's way too soft, whether it's way too aggressive. And I'm not going to pretend I know more defensive football than Robert Sala, nor are you. But watching it live, did it seem like that? Absolutely. Last but not least, on this miserable day of New York football. Well, it's really, in many ways, a normal day in New York football. Because that's what it's been for the last decade. So, uh, a rarity is what we had last week. But anyway, who's next? Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. I think I've uh, completed my postpartum on the Yankees and the season that we got to witness. I'll say it was a fitting end to that. But transitioning now over to my New York Jets. Built a lot of hope after beating the Titans last week, and then I got to watch. Well, the first half of that game against the Falcons was pathetic. Uh, Offensively, awful. Defense couldn't stop anything. And then the second half, they show life. And then when they have a chance to make a stop and really get back into the game, I didn't just get back in, take the lead. Coaching staff can't get a defense into a, a semblance of a formation that makes sense. And you have Kyle Pitts running free for 40 yards in the middle of the field with no one around him for 10 yards. And then on third and two, when you can hold the team to the field goal, you get a seven-yard cushion. Now, it's one thing when uh, the players aren't making plays, but when the coaches are not getting these guys into a position to make plays, what kind of a lease do you have on all of this? Or what do you think down the line? Or when do you want to see changes? Not so much of the staff, but it really – Scheme's got to change. LaFleur is really not adapting. You're seeing uh, Zach Wilson try to heave the ball, make things happen, uh, and he's still throwing, leading the league in picks or whatever. But the offense is not looking sharp by any means. And it's really, going back to what I said week one when I was at the Panthers game, very, very boring, very, really a bad offense for this type of a situation with this team, what they have, and this type of a quarterback. The defense I expected more from. Uh, when I needed to make a stop, Atlanta went right down the field. So, you know, a flash in the pan in Tennessee. Who knows? Wanted to see them trending in the right direction. And for the most of the second half, it looked like we were going to get that. And then just to end it on such a sour note. Uh, we'll see what happens next week. Take it easy. I understand the frustration at the end of the game. I think from a coaching standpoint, you have no issues with the defense. They didn't generate pressure today. Credit Atlanta for being ready, for tackling what Tennessee was unable to handle. They did a good job with that protection. The Jets didn't do a whole lot in that front. My bigger issue with the Jet coaching staff is their plan and their execution getting these games going. And I don't know how much blame you put on LaFleur, or I don't know how much blame you put on Wilson for not taking some of these easy, safe throws. And listen, there were throws that Zach Wilson just blatantly missed in this game. You have to acknowledge that. Like, you can't put all of the blame for what you saw on Sunday just at the doorstep of the offensive coordinator. It's not as simple as that. The quarterback was not good enough. He'd probably be the first one to tell you he was not good enough. He's got to make some of those easier throws. I know he's got arm talent. I know he's athletic. Sometimes you got to just understand, hey, less is more. You got to execute that six-yard out. You got to make that dump-off play when you got a wide receiver or running back with 15 to 20 yards of room in front of him. Like, you've got to be able to execute those things. 
and then give me the eye-opening, jaw-dropping, 30, 40, 50-yard play down the field. You got to be able to put it all together from that standpoint. Wilson has not done that yet. Coaching staff, I'm going to give them more blame for not getting off to better starts. I'm going to put the blame on Wilson for as these games continue. You know, in the pocket, you got to be better. You got to be smarter. You got to be sharper. We'll see how that progresses as this year goes along. Good time for the bye, though. Good reset. Extra time. New England, a team that befuddled you a couple weeks ago, be better. Be better the next time I watch them Jeff football. We'll run around the league. It was a wild day. Wild one o'clock slate. Classic game with the Chargers and the Cleveland Browns. And my football team is in disaster. I mean, all that. To make you feel a little bit better, think about my season. I go from watching the Yankees get eliminated at Fenway Park and I don't know. I think Tom Brady just threw another touchdown. Week five run through. That's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. So as we take a look around week five, the number one headliner, how about the Buffalo freaking Bills? The Buffalo Bills return to Arrowhead Stadium for the first time since the AFC title game. They got to sit through an hour-plus weather delay, and they lay a hurting, and they lay the smackdown on the Kansas City Chiefs. And Kansas City looked awful in this game. From wide receivers dropping passes, to Patrick Mahomes clearly looking off his mark, to the Chief defense just stinking up the joint, the Chiefs got problems. Now, when I say the Chiefs have problems, you have to put it in a different category to like 90% of the teams in the league. You know, it's not giant problems. It's not Miami Dolphin problems. Those are real problems. But Kansas City, since Mahomes has taken over, they've been in this sort of mode where they've been a lockdown number one or a number two seed. They've run through the regular season. They haven't really dealt with a whole lot of regular season adversity. Well, I think that's changing in 2021 because... Their division is really good. We'll get to the Chargers in a little bit, but they are formidable. I don't think there's any doubt. And the Chiefs are horrific on defense. And it seems like, to me, teams have gone to work on the Tampa blueprint from last year in the Super Bowl. Not every team has the personnel to execute it. But I do think that teams have kind of copycatted, if you will, that game plan from last February. Mahomes is going to go to the playoffs. They're going to have plenty of games where they score 40-plus points. What I've seen from the early going of this year, though, is that the AFC, it's there to be had for a Buffalo, for a Cleveland, 
for Los Angeles. Baltimore probably wants to put themselves in that conversation. Kansas City is not going to be a clear-cut, significant notch above everybody else throughout the conference. They might get there. They got Mahomes. They're never out of it. But they look flawed, and they look vulnerable. And on the other hand, Buffalo looks like a take-no-prisoners, take-names-and-kick-ass type of team. What Josh Allen has been able to do in growing his game year after year after year after year, it's rather remarkable. And he's got a swagger about him. He's got a confidence about him. The Bills clearly have a guy that they believe in. He's a leader. He's super talented. This was a revenge game for them. You wondered if they'd put a little bit too much pressure on themselves going into this game. Not the case. Not the case. And I'm even more impressed that they had to sit around for an hour and a half after the lightning and the weather. And they came out of the locker room and played the way that they did. Now, some are going to make the argument, oh, JJ, Arrowhead lost a lot of home fans. It's not the same home field advantage. You're not in your home locker room. That could throw you all out of sorts, especially when you got a big, comfortable margin of a lead. If I'm giving you an AFC favorite on October the 11th, the Buffalo Bills would be that team. Now, I don't know if they're getting the Super Bowl necessarily. A lot can happen. A lot can change between now and December and January. But going into Arrowhead and winning this game, starting off the season the way the Bills have started off this season after week one, after that weird game against the Steelers, they look the part of a team that can win a Super Bowl. We'll give you winners and losers coming up in a little bit. The biggest, without a doubt, Buffalo going into Arrowhead and taking down the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, make no mistake, they got problems. As far as the rest of the week five card, you got to start with the Packers and the Bengal insanity in Cincinnati. Did anybody want to make a kick at the end of that game? I mean, Mason Crosby basically missed about three chances to go and hit a game-winning field goal. The Bengals survived, even though Burrow was making some big throws and found Jamar Chase. The interception he had at the start of overtime is easily one of the worst throws and one of the worst decisions that you will see a quarterback make all season long. All season long. They survived that. But then they find a way to screw it up. And I had no problem, by the way. They had a fourth and one. And I got into an argument with a buddy of mine, the great Alex in Short Hills, who is usually on the same page with me when it comes to going for it. Like, I'm very aggressive. I'm all for it. When you need a 49-yard field goal to win the game, that's it. All you need is a 49-yard field goal. Time expires. You walk it off. You win the game. Your kicker has to be able to hit that. So I may side against analytics there in that standpoint. That's not being analytical. That's just being straightforward and honest. Hit a damn 49-yard field goal. You can't hit a 49-yard field goal. You don't belong in the NFL. That's a golden opportunity squandered for the Bengals. The Bengals were this close to get a 4-1. The Packers, that's why I didn't bet against them today, folks. I almost did. And I'm glad I didn't. I would have lost another game. I thought long and hard about betting against the Packers. And they find ways to win. That has been their MO in the LaFleur era. It hasn't been pretty. They don't wow you. But they win. They do a whole lot of winning.
Another crazy game. The Vikings and the Lions. The Vikings look to have a comfortable 10-point lead. Then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. The Lions kick a field goal. Then all of a sudden, the Lions end up going for it. And you're like, holy moly, holy moly, holy moly. They just took the lead inside of a minute to play. I mean, as a guy who had the Vikings in a variety of different eliminator pools, my emotions on that final drive after Detroit scores a touchdown after the fumble, they go for two, they get it, which was the right call. You absolutely go for two in that situation. And then only to see the Vikings come right down the field and score. I mean, that's why Dan Campbell was crying after the game. And listen, Dan Campbell is the ultimate, like, dudes did. Like, guy's going to want to run through a brick wall for somebody who is that emotional, that passionate about their craft. They just are. The lines are not any good. They clearly need a quarterback. You wonder if he makes them a more entertaining place to play. The Vikings, every game it feels like comes down to the wire for both of these teams. Lions find ways to lose. Vikings, you don't know what roll of the dice you're getting. Are you getting a good roll of the dice? You're getting a bad roll of the dice. I don't know. But they're two and three, and the Lions haven't won a game. Steelers, they survived. They were up big. Denver came storming back. I thought Denver was going to score on their final possession of the game, not to be 27 to 19. Steelers, much needed. They get to two and three. And Denver, after the 3 0 start, when they beat the Jets, the Giants, and the Jaguars. Regression to the mean. 0-2 now in the AFC North against Baltimore and against Pittsburgh. Buccaneers, oh my goodness, they rolled over the Dolphins. I wonder if they're going to blame Tua for that one too. 45-17. to And Brissett was fine. Brissett was not the reason the Dolphins lost this game. What happened to the Dolphin defense? The Dolphin defense that was like top 7, top 8, statistically speaking, They had this insane streak of forcing turnovers. They couldn't stop Antonio Brown. They couldn't stop Chris Godwin. They couldn't stop Leonard Fournette. And Brady was doing whatever the hell Brady wanted to do. Dolphins are in a major, major crisis point. They're 1-4. They're seeing Justin Herbert throw touchdowns all over the place. They had all these draft picks. Let's be honest, most of them have not panned out. Schedule gets a lot easier for them. There's going to be some soft landing spots. But I honestly can't think of a player in the league who is going to be under more pressure and is going to face more scrutiny than Tua whenever he comes back. Because he's coming back to a flawed team, a team that's really no great shakes. Brian Flores was getting all sorts of bows from people like me and NFL types all around the league. Now his team's one and four. Now his team's kind of been hitting the face. How are they going to get off the mat? How are they going to respond? How is this quarterback going to respond when he comes back? I hope to a place next week because I think it makes it a fascinating watch, even against the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars. Who, oh, by the way, lost 37-19 to the Tennessee Titans, and that was the perfect get-right game for Tennessee. Derrick Henry scores three touchdowns. Um, how about Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence not being on the same page? Did anybody see that quote after the game? Talking about the quarterback sneak and, you know, Urban, I don't want Trevor to sneak. Trevor's basically saying, yeah, I can sneak. I don't know what we're talking about. It kind of speaks to the disconnect 
that you have across the board with that organization. And I think the reality is really hitting home for Jacksonville that Urban Meyer just has no interest and has no patience for coaching in the NFL. And I expect that experiment to be over after a year. And I think Urban Meyer next year is coaching USA. Even with Lawrence, even with, you know, the idea of wanting to, no, he's not cut out for the NFL. He's just not. Big win for the Saints, 33-22 over Washington. And a couple of key turnovers from Heineke. It was a big day for Jameis Winston. The Washington defense, though, was supposed to be really good going into the year. Even in Washington's wins, the defense has stunk. It has been terrible. That, to me, is one of the big disappointments going into this year. Washington was supposed to be a defense that was, you know, amongst football's best. They have not fit that description so far. Nowhere close. Big win for the Saints getting a three and two. Eagles come from behind win. That was the only game we got right today. How freaking will you? 21 to 18 over the Panthers. Uh, Jalen Hurts was so unimpressive for three quarters. They got a big block punt. The Eagle defense was flying all over the field. And then finally, Hurts made a couple of plays with his legs. And Darnold was terrible. Listen, this was the worst game I've seen from Sam Darnold in a Carolina uniform. Three interceptions, all out of whack, all out of sorts. Credit the Eagle defense. Bad day for number 14. Carolina feeling that regression in the mean. Philadelphia gets to two and three. They got a pulse now, at least going into their Thursday night game. Pats, the Pats hung on for dear life to survive this game against the Houston Texans. And I'm sure a lot of you had New England as a pick in your eliminator pool, as you are watching the defense get absolutely torched, torched by Mills. Then you have to deal with a fumble from Damian Harris on a one-yard line when it looks like he's going in for a touchdown and that get overturned. To get away with one there is just incredible. Pats take it. It don't got to be pretty. They are now two and three and they'll host the Cowboys this week. They could not lose this game to the Texans. Like, that's the sort of loss that will send your season completely off the wagon and will just send it spiraling out of control. You cannot lose that game to the Texans. Late afternoon slate. Big win for the Bears. 29 over the Raiders. Um, Fields throws his first career touchdown pass. The story of the game, though, the Bear defense getting after Derek Carr, getting after the Raider rushing attack, and holding, holding the Raiders to only nine points. That, to me, is the story of that game. Bear defense falling out. Big win for them. Now they got some life with a young quarterback and, you know, they can feel good about themselves for a week. Um, Cardinals, 17-10 over the Niners. Trey Lance's first game at quarterback. And listen, some of the play calls from Shanahan were insanely questionable. Fumbling at the one-yard line is going to be an absolute killer. That cannot happen. You cannot overcome that. And you know what? The fact that Arizona now, after that Ram game, can win a division game like this and get to 5-0, and that's eye-opening to me. Are the Cardinals the best team in the NFL? No. But seeing a performance like this and now knowing the deal with Russell Wilson and his injury, beating the Rams already in their building, and now having a win over the San Francisco 49ers, I got no problem if a team like Arizona wants to say, hey, well, guess what? Win a team to beat to go and win this division. It's a big boy, big boy, big boy type of win. Why? Because of what happened a week prior and how being able to generate that momentum and keep that momentum going is so important in this league. Arizona did exactly that. And then last but not least, I got to say it for the Chargers and the Browns. What a phenomenal football game. 
I mean, you want to talk about a high wire game. You want to talk about back and forth. You want to talk about all sorts of offensive action. Eckler was awesome. Herbert was awesome. Mayfield was awesome. The Browns rushing attack was awesome. This was the sort of game that if I got this game in a postseason, it'd be an absolute classic. Be an absolute classic. And you want to know why the LA Chargers were able to overcome the double-digit deficit? Their head coach understands fourth downs in my own territory, fourth downs on the other side of the field. I got to be aggressive. I got a quarterback who can sling it. I got playmakers galore. I'm going to dictate the terms of the game. And I think for coaches watching around the league, take a page out of what Brandon Staley is doing so far with Los Angeles. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's coaching to win. It's believing in your players. It is the modern day way of playing to win the game, as Herm Edwards once said. It's a little different now in 2021. Brandon Staley is doing exactly that. I mean, I watched the Chargers week in and week out, and I was fearful of them going into the year. I thought they were too trendy. I thought maybe they were the sexy team. Everybody hyping up Herbert, blah, 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 blah. They're really good. Like, they're legit AFC contender good. And I don't walk away feeling crappy about the Browns. I actually think the Browns should feel really good about where they're at. Think about their two losses this year. They had a big lead against the Chiefs. They had a big lead against the Chargers. They let both of those games slip away on the road, mind you. And yet they still have a winning record. I I love Cleveland to win that division. They're a better team than Baltimore. They will be playing in January again. How they get to that next level, though, will be fascinating. But I feel good about my Brownies. I do. I'd love to see that as a rematch. Like in the divisional round or in wildcard weekend, sign me up for Chargers-Browns. But give me the game in Cleveland. I don't know. I I like the idea of the game in Cleveland. Just seems like old school. Like a Cleveland home playoff game? Oh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. But if I'm thinking about the big winners, big winners for week five. I'd say the Chargers and the Cardinals. Because for the Cardinals to do what they did after last week opens my eyes. For the Chargers, after two division wins, Chiefs, Raiders, Two games that generated a whole lot of national attention. You're down double digits. You find a way to beat the Browns. Holy moly. That means you're scary, scary good. So, I know I'm going to have to hear the Justin Herbert Tua stuff all season. I mean, all season for that matter. I'm well aware. I'll be here. Don't worry. I'll be here. I'm not running high. You know that. All right. We'll come back. We'll set the stage for Monday night. It was a very interesting day of Major League Baseball action. And hopefully I could start winning some bets. It's been a while. It has been a while. Forgot what that feeling felt like. I'm not going to lie. Come right back. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed. 
my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You know, I was thinking about this as I'm watching the Rays and the Red Sox. What a miserable week. Yeah, I'm going to admit, this is a little woe is me. This is absolutely some serious woe is me right about now. The Yankees get blitzed and get knocked out of the wild card game by the Red Sox. My football picks go one and four. My Dolphins stink. And then I got to see the Red Sox get the break of a lifetime in extra innings. And it overshadows what was a fabulous back and forth game between Tampa, Boston, lead changes, great pitching, heroics from Nick Pavetta. I I mean, Simmons is probably still giddy thinking about it right now, but... The Kevin Kiermaier ball looks like it's going to be a go-ahead double in extra innings. Hits the wall, then hits Hunter Renfro, then proceeds to bounce over the fence. The base runner at third is clearly scoring on that particular play. I know the rule book states that's technically a ground rule double. How in God's name is that possible? How is that possible? So, so you tell me um, if the ball hits the wall and then, you know, if I throw it down and it hits off to somebody else and it's still a ground one double? Like, I, I mean, how much of that nonsense can you honestly believe? That's a rule that's got to be changed. I mean, let's call it like it is. This is now the second time in about 20 years the Red Sox have gotten a break like this. And listen, the Red Sox for 86 years never got breaks. Now they're getting those sort of breaks. That's frightening because that run doesn't score. Pavetta works out of the inning and then Vasquez proceeds and hits a two-run homer. And now Boston is in the driver's seat to win this series. Now, they haven't won yet. I don't know what they're going to do with their pitching in game four. Alex Cora has shown us in the past, if you go back to the 2018 postseason, he manages these playoff games to win. He's not thinking about tomorrow. So he's going to start at Eduardo Rodriguez. But if he's got to go and use Sale tomorrow night, if he's got to go and use Hauk for three or four innings, he's going to do it. If he thinks he can wrap the series up right here, right now at Fenway Park. And that's the right mentality to have. Tampa's a gritty, resourceful, tough group. I think they will rally. But I'm fearful of that Fenway magic that I've been seeing way too much of over the last 15 to 20 years. It's actually quite sickening. Did that give me flashbacks? That they, did that give me shades of Tony Clark in 2004? You, you betcha. You betcha. How that is a ground rule double and how the umpires cannot use common sense to allow that run to score is beyond me. It's beyond me. And that's a rule that's got to change. The Boston Red Sox being one win away from an American League Championship Series is sickening. And the fact that it is possible that I might be sitting here in a week rooting like crazy for the Houston Astros. Ugh. I want to vomit. 
But it's not even close. Like, what Yankee fan is going to root for the Red Sox over the Astros? You can't. As much as you may hate Altuve and Bregman, I can't stand them. Trust me, I can't stand them. They're the Astros. I don't deal with a whole lot of Astro fans. I think you guys know who I deal with on a pretty frequent basis. You think I can deal with the idea of the Red Sox getting to the World Series? Dare I say winning the World Series? I'm going to request like a month of vacation if that's the case. I can't because I vowed that I'm not taking any time off until after the Super Bowl. But the only thing that would make it worse if it was a Red Sox-Mets World Series. Like that, that, that's the only like possible scenario that could be worse for me. Where there is absolutely no winning any which way. So, I am looking to the heavens for the next two days. Tampa, please get your shit together. Win tomorrow night. Get back to that dump stadium and win on Wednesday. That's what I need. I need some positive vibes. I need to pick me up. I've had a real shit week. Basically, everything that could have gone wrong for me from a sports standpoint has gone wrong. Yankees, Dolphins, losing bets, Red Sox winning. It's misery business. Trying to be Mr. Brightside. So please, Tampa Bay Rays, step it up. Good job by the White Sox tonight. Down 5-1, to one, showed fight, Grandal, big home run, bullpen, fabulous job. I think the White Sox can get this baby back to a game five. Now, I don't know if I like their chances to win in Houston, but I like the quick turnaround. I like the momentum working in their favor. In on the idea of my White Sox series bet not being completely dead to rights. And considering where we were 24 hours ago, I'm going to take that. I'm going to run with that. And we have four baseball games tomorrow. So before we pick a couple of these bad boys and pick Monday Night Football before we say goodbye, Jeff Money, job well done. You beat me like there's no tomorrow on these head-to-head matchups. I don't like it, pal. I don't like it. What do you got? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. It's going to be for Monday the 11th. Now, you already know the play. I'm going with the Colts, part of the contest place, plus the seven over the Ravens. As far as when I was giving this message, it was 1 o'clock games are over in the NFL. I wound up going, I hit uh, so far with the Steelers, as you know, and I pushed with that crazy Packer game. So I'm 1-0-1, and the 4 o'clock games are pending as we speak during this taping. So, again, my Monday play is going to go with the Colts, plus the 7. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. All right, Jeff Money, you were going with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I don't love laying seven with Baltimore with the way they have looked, but I am not going to overreact to Indianapolis winning one game against the hapless Miami Dolphins. If I were playing this game tomorrow, I would lay the seven with Baltimore. I think the better move in this game is to take the total that went from 49 to 46 and a half. Total is dropped now about two and a half to three points. Take it, tease up the under, and tease down the Ravens. That is how I would play Monday Night Football. Tease down the Ravens, tease up the under. As far as the baseball, we don't have a line yet on Chicago and Houston. Milwaukee has gone from 122 to 115. I will be on the Brewers tomorrow with Peralta on the mound against Anderson. I will absolutely be on the Brewers tomorrow. You can lock that in right now. Milwaukee is a play. Listen, I'm not giving out a play for Tampa and Boston. Too much emotion involved. I'm rooting for the Rays like crazy. Am I confident? No, not in the least. Uh, I'll give you another one I like. 
Even though I picked the Giants to win the series, I don't like them in game three. Alex Wood against Scherzer. That has margin victory for the Dodgers written all over it. And the line's gone from 178 to 209. So here's what I would do. I'd take the Dodgers on the run line. Favorite play out of any of the baseball games tomorrow, though? I love Milwaukee. Give me Milwaukee every which way. I love that I'm getting them at even money. Milwaukee, a tease. And, you know, I don't want to root for my Dodger run line bet because I want the Giants to win a series. We're invested there. So I'll give you Milwaukee and the, uh, the football tease. That's how we'll say goodbye. We're back Tuesday night. I hope we're not looking forward to the Red Sox being in the American League Championship Series. I, I, I can't handle that. And one last update on Barkley. Dr. Chow, not nearly as optimistic as Ian Rappaport. Dr. Chow, who's normally all over this when it comes to injury stuff, taking a timetable of November, more likely for Saquon Barkley. So the hits just keep on coming for New York sports fans. When did we become this like beleaguered bunch? This sucks. Sucks. Hope everybody enjoyed their weekend. Enjoy your Monday. JJ out. Be good, everybody.